0: you are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud native data management. My name is Ryan Wallner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shah, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is July 13th, 2023. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Speaking of evenings, we're doing this in the evening. This it doesn't happen that often, I feel like. I know.
1: Yeah, this I, is the only I have second a, episode.
0: A, a nightcap in my hand, which is always always a good thing. I know you, <laughs> I know you don't trust yourself to drink liquids anymore after the last. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if anybody caught that, but Bobbin just shirted himself with the water. So you know, go take take a look at that. That's fun. We had fun with that
1: one. Yeah. Yeah. Go check the YouTube video of the uh, of our previous episode.
0: <laughs> That's good. That's
1: good. What are you been up to? Uh I don't know. I'm just keeping busy. Uh we have AWS Summit in New York City. So okay. like going to attend that. Uh but we're also doing a workshop the day before. So just busy building out the workshop. Nice. Uh yeah, a lot of things. Just keeping busy with work i'm excited that in three weeks i have some pto coming so nice. after the summit next week i'll be in Bans, canada uh, so is this national park again yeah yeah yes. national park, man finally you know like Do you this have a year, number
0: a running number of how many you've been to uh i i
1: had at some point but i obviously i don't remember it right there's now. there's
0: the idea for your background on your wall you put the national parks yeah.
1: there. that's a good idea man thank you <laughs> Tell us no. your story. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is my first like uh, trip to Canada, so I'm excited yeah. about the Banff National Park. Uh, I have all the bookings and everything done for a while now. Um, I, but I, t- just today I realized that okay, I need a reservation for a shuttle that takes us to one of those points. Yeah, which I thought wasn't needed, so I need to do some some more research. So I'm not as prepared as I usually am, but I'm excited about like, it's more work, of an adventure that way. Yeah, true. <laughs> How about <laughs> you, Dan? Just like that. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Speaking of traveling, um, yeah. I have some PTO coming up next week, so I'm pumped about. Um, yeah. That was one of uh, the long moto camping trips. Yeah. Although with all the the crazy amount of torrential downpouring, um, this was a whole northeast trip. So it's New yeah. York through Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, all to the Canadian border, and they uh, had to shut down the entire Vermont section. um because so many roads so many homes so many towns were flooded it's really just an insane scenario there um so we might we're basically planning on doing like the first three or four days and then seeing if we could just like go lend a a hand to some of the communities and members we know up there oh that's basically shovel sludge and stuff out of their uh their homes which is just nuts so um yeah we'll see some of those videos were like terrifying yeah yeah and you know where I, where I grew up in the Hudson Valley, New York. They also got a, a ton of rain, which took out roads and all sorts of stuff, which I thought was like bad. And that was day one. And then the next day, everything just like yeah. went nuts in in uh, Vermont. And they said um, this has this was more rain than they got in 2011 with Hurricane Irene. Uh, which oh wow! Did cause crazy massive flooding up there, but it was worse than that. Uh, just because we've gotten out a ton of rain, and so everything was already swelled, right? Yeah. And then, and then this just like if you look at the radar, like the the time lapse of it, it's just this giant.
1: <laughs> it just didn't move. It just <laughs> yeah. sat there. Like I think
0: some towns got like ten or twelve inches of raining in like one day, I which know. is insane.
1: <laughs> yeah, hopefully, people are safe. Safe, like they they yeah. knew this was coming, so they were able to like move out. But again, you can't do anything about the houses or homes, right?
0: Well, yeah i mean rebuild right uh, yeah. at that point you just evaluate and you know mm-hmm. figure it not out fun which is, no not fun so hopefully we can help out and we'll see if we have time to shoot up there or if they yeah. want us up there that kind of thing it's been a week and a half or something so okay. yeah, they shut down those so it, it throws a loop in our, our our trip but you know that's nothing compared to what they're dealing with so we have to take it with a grain of salt and just you know, take what we get so okay <laughs> um but yeah um anyway moving on from that <laughs> uh we do have uh, an awesome topic today awesome guest uh, yes. but before we dive into who that guest is and what the topic is uh let's dive into our cloud native news why don't you kick us off
1: yeah sure i just have a few quick things right yeah. uh hashicorp uh, everybody's favorite i don't know infrastructure as code company that's what i love them for like for terraform <laughs> <As> <laughs> i, I, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 published a state of the cloud uh, survey that they did with forrester uh I, the reason i want to talk about i i linked it in our show notes was um they are actually talking about multi-cloud and the advantages of using it. I know there are there is a lot of noise right now in the ecosystem, depending on who you are talking to, right? Uh, about like, oh, cloud repatriation. Again, that's happening. But the yep. scale with which people are talking about it, uh, I don't think it's happening as much. And this report kind of reinforces that. Like there are benefits to multi-cloud. Uh, again, last week when we spoke to Surya, right? He's like, yeah. even startups are moving clouds because uh, of cloud credit. So... Uh, A good report to check out talks about the things that you absolutely need to figure out. So if you don't have things like reliability and security and cost management figured out, you will have a bad experience. But then if you are taking care of those things, uh, you can take advantage of all the abstraction that's provided by these infrastructure vendors.
0: Yeah, and the, and the report has some interesting things in there, like multi-cloud isn't just about enabling sort of technology. It's also keeping and retaining talent, right? Someone yeah. uh, being able to be familiar in one cloud versus the other and being able to enable those developers to use those clouds, things like mm-hmm. that. It uh, has some really good uh, numbers and, and, you know, the the spend numbers that talk about even in sort of the economic times. Um, yeah. not, I guess not surprising seeing what we have seen, but it's, it's kind of uh, enlightening.
1: Yeah. Uh, Next thing was just a quick uh, uh, note about Istio. I know Istio used to be a non-CNCF thing, which was then donated to CNCF by Google Cloud and uh, IBM. Now it has got, uh, officially matured or graduated from an incubating status uh, to a graduated pro- project. So it joins the lights right. of uh, Kubernetes and Flux uh, and Argo CD and those kinds of projects that have a lot of backing from the community. So Istio just joins that club, which, again, we knew it had support, but now it's an official CNCF graduated yeah. project. Cool, very cool. Uh, a couple of new things, uh, Instacart, right? Like, uh, I'm sure everybody might have ordered Instacart at some point, uh, during COVID, but (laughs) you didn't.
0: Oh, no, I love it. I still use it. Oh, okay.
1: You love it. Okay. So they actually, I don't have
0: like time to get down there, but yeah.
1: Yeah, they actually run some of their infrastructure on Kubernetes. Uh, They have a new blog which talks about how they moved from using an AWS managed service with AWS EMR and moved to running Apache Flink on Kubernetes. And they talk about the uh, benefits that they saw in terms of operational efficiency. So like their ops, people are not spending as much time managing and building those things. Developer uh, uh, productivity also shot up. So there, there were a few benefits. Again it's at a different scale right like if you are a five percent team i don't know if it <laughs> running things on your own on yeah. kubernetes makes sense but for a uh, for a company that has more uh, uh, people with the required skill set this might make sense so that was oh, yeah. a good read
0: yeah and the background of that whole company right the 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 amount of scale that they had so quickly right because of the pandemic it was that's an interesting story in and of itself so um maybe they use kubernetes i have a funny story as well about uh instacart uh, because i used it a lot uh, during the pandemic i uh uh, i have some small driveway on a steep driveway Uh and um (laughs) one of the instacart drivers like (laughs) use my sort of like garage area to like back out instead of just backing down the driveway which a lot of people do and wound up running into my house Just like taking out part of like the two wow. by fours on the side, I was like, "What?" And just left, and then left. So I had like mm-hmm. a uh, camera, and, and yeah. so I called Instacart. I was like, "What do I do about this?" <laughs> you know, like, is this is this a you problem or a me problem? And basically, they just like they said, "It's it's just like any accident. You can like report it and do insurance." And I was like, "Ah." Oh. So basically, I couldn't do anything. But yeah, like, would uh, yeah. you
1: uh, sue Instacart for insurance money or the no, driver? Like- I
0: think it's just like an accident to the driver, like. They have the driver information. I, oh. I didn't bother with it because I'm like, at the end of the day, all I wish is that they like, just like stopped and I like know. knocked on my door and yeah. said, like, "I did this thing," but <laughs> <laughs> nope, hit and run. I guess on my grill.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. Moving on, <laughs> and the last thing was uh, just talking about a, an open source project called Cube Linter. I know it, it is relevant to what we are dis- going to discuss today, right? I know we have I haven't spoken the, uh, about what the topic is, but it helps you analyze your YAML files and Helm charts that you might be creating. It checks it for um, uh, just. Uh, security vulnerabilities, whether it's written correctly, whether it has any, any issues inside those YAML files. It cool. identifies all of that for you and can be customized as well. Uh, so a good project to use. It's still in its alpha phase. Uh, but something that I wanted to highlight given the topic that we have for today.
0: Yeah, we all know YAML is a nightmare when you're dealing with a lot of it. So um, I
1: remember you did a, a talk at KubeCon, right? Oh,
0: I did. A, I did a debates uh, yeah. uh, YAML versus JSON or something. I like
1: forgot that. which side you were on. There was no winning side. Okay.
0: No, no, no. I which was, side oh, you I, was on? I think I, I had say. to play. I think I had to play for the YAML side. Okay. Um, okay, okay. We were at you know CubeCon, so you know a lot of people had yeah. you know scars still fresh. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a tough one, but yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's it. Fun news for me.
0: Cool. Um, uh, a couple of things for me Crunchy Postgres for Kubernetes. Um, so, databases on Kubernetes, mm-hmm. uh, near and dear topic to this podcast for us. They released version 5.4. Um, I you know I've always been a fan of what they've been doing. They they had an operator early on, yeah. all sorts of stuff. But uh, Five Four has support for ARM, which I think is pretty Ooh. cool. Um, and a lot of a lot of uh, performance stuff that I don't fully understand, so I'm not going to go into it. But things like huge pages and table spaces and all that stuff. You're into that, and I like that in this document. Uh, sorry, in this release, they say documentation in enhancements just like i know. just oh that's good feels to do. good in my heart there you know, yeah just uh, top level in the release <laughs> um, that's awesome the the next one is is all about sort of uh aws being targeted by sort of new hacking techniques um and malware and things like that so uh, i might not say this correctly but scarlet eel or okay. it could be scarlet teal <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I like scarlet eel sounds way cooler and I'm
1: going to It looks like, like it, it. it looks like a sushi that you might get a noodle at a noodle shop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> scarlet eel like a red sushi yeah, yeah. yeah. Um the uh this this uh this whole sort of approach was identified in I think February 2023 but Uh it's evolved so this whole sort of attack has evolved to now uh, target again not a new thing for us misconfigured Mm -hmm. uh, clusters and uh, AWS policies and uh, there's a lot of specifics around this new approach being very specific to AWS Fargate so it can kind of get into containers identify if it's on a Fargate container uh, branch out from there get more credentials and um, they're actually using some well-known uh, exploitation tools that are available to just mean anybody here, right? Paku yeah. is one of them, um, and some others. So they're they're kind of taking uh, a modernized approach to this. And again, this is all fueled by a lot of the complexities that are mm-hmm. in this, which is kind of ties back to our previous episode. If you want to go yeah. look, listen to that, so I just thought it was really uh, interesting and that it's you know specifically targeting targeting AWS and Fargate and things like that. So
1: go go. Spend go some time. Secure, you know? yeah, go, be se- go be secure, you know. Go be secure. Or, or just at least like, if you are looking for your next job and thinking, okay, what you might do with all this AI buzz, like go just beef up on security skills. I think yeah. I'm learning that as part of my day job as well. Like I was Seriously. messing around with uh, SEC policies and OpenShift today. So, like, yeah. security is which is, yeah. which is frustrating in and
0: of itself. And that that's hey, like oh, a, it is. That's yeah, that's like a simple <laughs> side of things. Um, <laughs> Yeah, if you're new to this entire community, Kubernetes in general, go dive in there. Uh, I think it's a huge part of it, which leads me to my next news item, which is um, about learning how to troubleshoot Kubernetes. So we've talked about the CKA exam on this. Um, This article actually gives you a really kind of in-depth view about how things are troubleshooted, how to understand some things like crash loop backoffs. And uh, it talks about the fact that 30% of that exam is troubleshooting, right? You have to like know what's going on. Um, And I think it just, again, ties to, uh, A, this episode that we're going to talk about um, with the complexity and how to troubleshoot and a lot of people and a lot of SREs and a lot of DevOps engineers spending time in that zone of, you know, banging their, uh, I should say fingers, but heads probably on the keyboard, (laughs) uh, troubleshooting Kubernetes. So um, a really interesting article. If you haven't taken the CK or interested or just in that topic in general, go take a look at it. it. Gives you some actual examples and things like that. So. Yes, that is the news. We do have a couple things we want to mention um, in this week's Cube Weekly. Um, they do have a GitOps micro survey. I don't, you know, just call it a survey. But, Microservices
1: um, <laughs> survey for GitOps? I don't know. <laughs>
0: it's, it's containerized. It's a survey. It's uh, gone down a rat hole there. Uh, but anyway, GitOps microsurvey. Um, if you have touched these tools, we've talked a lot about them on the show lately. Um, go take that survey. Just kind of uh, help out the CNCF. Get a, a good sort of idea of what people are up to and what they're mm-hmm. poking at and, and things like that. So, um, and I'll turn it over to you for the last bit.
1: Yeah, I think the uh, last thing was around you our the phone. joke. Kubernetes. By, sorry. I said, I'll, t- I'll turn it over for the last bit. Uh, oh. hey, 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 hey. All right, I'll let you nice.
2: continue.
1: This is what happens when we record this show after hours. Yeah, maybe it's more fun that way. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, are you saying the, the uh, morning and afternoon, afternoon episodes are not fun? Come on, Ryan. Oh, they're, they're so much fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so we realized after the last episode when we shared the news that we have a new Slack channel or Slack workspace for everybody to join and collaborate, we realized we, the link that we had wasn't really an invite link, so we fixed that. Yeah, we moved. <laughs> yeah, so again, part of the journey, right? We're learning in public here. <laughs> but it, now if you go to bit.ly slash k8sbytes, Kubernetes bytes with the smaller Kubernetes version, you should be able to join our channel. So yes. we'll, we'll include it in our show notes. I'm sure we'll post through our social channels as well. We have a QR code for it, so it's easy to sign up. But yeah, come join us.
0: Come join us. Give us episode ideas. Tell us what you like, don't yeah. like everything is on there uh, yeah we although we feel channel. bad if
1: you say what something that you didn't like so uh, be careful
0: <laughs> just be <laughs>
1: kind you know yeah, just be because, kind. yes That's yeah all.
0: we we want to <laughs> learn from you know, what you think yeah. That is absolutely something we want to do. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. So go check that out. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, let's move on to today's topic. Uh mm-hmm. today's topic is all about sort of using uh new AI tooling and approaches that we see commonly with things like ChatGPT and other things like that. Uh using that to basically uh help troubleshoot and um identify problems and fix problems sure. in Kubernetes. Really cool topic. Um the uh, founder of Runwin, uh Kyle Forster, is is the CEO there at Runwen. He'll talk about a little bit uh, about the company, but also more generally. He was a uh, senior director at Google, uh, Kubernetes specifically, and a founder of Big Switch Network. So, um, definitely a great guest. And uh, we're excited to have him on talk about this topic. I think we've been itching to do some AI topics. So, hopefully, we'll I like, well. we
1: have been doing the chat gpd question for a while. But then I really want, I, I was really excited for, I'm, I am actually not was, but I'm really excited for this episode where yeah. we talk about how AI is actually impacting the Kubernetes ecosystem. So, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, very, very cool
0: stuff. Uh, and we are going to forego uh, this this week's Chat TV question for our guests because the entire episode is about AI, yeah, and you can only AI. take so much AI. Um, <laughs> uh, but we will, we will talk about it a little bit after, after we do the interview. So sure. why don't we get Kyle on the show?
1: We'll be right back after this short break. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023.
3: If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help.
0: All right, welcome to Kubernetes Bites, Kyle. It's a pleasure to have you here. Why don't you give our listeners and watchers a little introduction of who you are and and what you're up to?
3: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me on. As a follower of the show for a while, I uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, My name is Kyle Forster. Uh, I left the Kubernetes team at Google a couple of years ago to start a company called RunWin. We build tools for teams that small teams and understaffed teams that are currently using Kubernetes. We do this using combination of AI and uh, expert open source community.
1: That's okay, great. so you just said the magic word AI. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> how does how does Runway use artificial intelligence? Mm-hmm. And like, before we also talk about like how Runway uses it, can we also talk about? I'm assuming you have been getting a lot of these questions so like like what are llms what are large language models how do they work and why are people suddenly so uh, excited about ai and the whole new wave mm-hmm. of cpts yeah
3: you know if, if well i could give the a, a short answer or a long answer <laughs> <laughs> medium yeah no anything works just go for it yeah you know for on the what are LLMs, I, there are a lot of papers now on what these things are doing under the covers, but I, I do like think of them as an API endpoint. You send some text and it sends a bunch of text back. Yeah., um, you know, I'm a believer you know, I can talk about how we're using them specifically, but I'm a believer that we'll see kind of three waves, because at first, if you look at Chat GPT, which is kind of the, the big popularization of LLMs, Yeah, Um, and the first real open endpoint for a a large one of these, it it feels like magic. I mean, it really, really does. I'm assuming that almost all of your listeners have used ChatGPT at least, uh, at least a few times in the last few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Minutes, yes. (laughs) Uh, I think you know. Look, the cost of building a good chatbot interface with these has now gone down. I mean, uh, gone down by about a factor of a hundred. Sure. Since OpenAI opened up their API endpoints, I mean, mm-hmm. just compared to 2022, is amazing. I'm just a believer that chatbots will be a very short period in, in history. I, I was on with the service chatbot for my ISP a couple of days ago, trying to cancel my subscription. This was like for the second time, and I'm <laughs> ripping my hair out. <laughs> Even if this thing could apologize more eloquently, the fact yeah. that it can't cancel my subscription and it keeps sending me to a web page that is down doesn't
1: help. <laughs> right.
2: Anybody? <laughs> I am I...
1: full. Yes. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, I know like you are answering a question, but just a tangent. Like I was talking to, there's an uh, there's also a, a, a website called pi.com, right? Like pi is another one of these uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. chatbots. I was talking to it. I was like, I need some landscapers. And it was giving me answers like ABC landscaping, company, XYZ landscaping company in near my area. I was like, do they really exist or is it it's just throwing some things on? And I was like, can you give me a link to their website? And it just describe like what a website It might look like for a landscaping company, and that's it. Like, it didn't give me any links. So, yes, I agree. Like, we need these to be better. I mean, the the incompetent chatbot that speaks perfect English is not moving the industry that far forward.
3: (laughs) But unfortunately, I think, frankly, we're going to see a ton of those. Like, despite, like, the DevOps SRE area, like, we're going to see every vendor and their friend is going to put a chatbot interface and... I think we'll see a huge number of releases over the course of the rest of this year. And then we'll see a big backlash next year and people will say, oh, LLM suck because they're all these bad chatbots. <laughs> um, I, I hope that this will be a short lived chapter one of the industry. The really, really interesting thing c- called the cost of building a chatbot has gone down by a factor of about 100. The cost of building a really good search engine has gone down by a factor of about 10,000. Whew, okay. Yeah. I think that will be the big deal. Uh, LLMs are the really, really expensive part of building a search engine. If you build search, if you want to build really, really good search, you don't take the text that somebody sent you in a query and try to match it against the text in all of the target web pages that you're trying to search. You try to take as much information about the user, their current location, their language, Mm -hmm. their last time, and you try to build up a search intent. And You try to take all the targets, whether they're web pages, because everybody's familiar with consumer web search, or whether you're Amazon as products, whether it's database rows, whether it's some more interesting things we can talk about. Um, and you're trying to build up an intent for each of those. And you don't search text to text; you're really trying to search intent for intent. And that's where LLMs are pretty amazing. Dump a bunch of information about the user, including their query, and say, "What do you think is this? Is this, is this user's intent?" grab a bunch of text about a database row, about a web page, in our particular case about a troubleshooting task, dump it to ChatGPT to say, what do you think that intent is? And then you do intent to intent match and you have phenomenally
1: good search. Do you think anybody's doing that today or that's like a, a vision that you have for the future? Well, I know we just spent 20 hours last week on like UI
3: designs and algorithm <laughs> tweaks, so I, I can tell you at least you know score one. We're 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 right now tracking 11 different vendor projects using LLMs, most of which are just chatbots. Actually, eight of 11. Um, there are three that I think are interesting on the vendor side, and then we're tracking four different LLM SRE and DevOps projects in the FANG, amongst the fang companies and amongst fang teams, mm-hmm. um, and every single one of those is active search. Got it. Gotcha. They're, they're all folks that know search, know the capabilities, know the expensive parts, know the hard parts very, 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 very well.
1: Have a huge data set if they are a fine company. <laughs> uh, yeah. But with LLMs, you, you barely even need the data set. It's
3: fantastic. You just, just ask it to describe intent, and it'll take care of the rest for you.
0: Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, I think there's a big part of this that search and chatbots are familiar to people. So it's an easy way for getting someone who really doesn't understand the like what's going on behind the scenes to use it. Right mm-hmm. um, and I know that what you're up to at Runwind is sort of reimagining we don't need chatbots, mm-hmm. or maybe there's different ways to use it um, and I'd, I'd love to hear more about sort of what was the genesis story of kind of like why you saw this uh, problem and are starting to solve it with you know AI and and specifically with you know Kubernetes at the moment
3: sure. You know, look, the genesis story for RunWin was just, at my last role, a huge percentage of my users were were stuck. Uh, As you guys know, Kubernetes is hard. But we did study after study, and I don't know how many, I mean, like in the hundreds of customer interviews, specifically on this topic, that I became very, very, very convinced the hard part is not Kubernetes itself. There are 800 open source packages, give or take, that represent around 70% of the Kubernetes workloads in the world. Uh, across any individual cluster, there's an average of somewhere around 40 to 60 for a small cluster and many hundreds for a large cluster. And so if you look at like the problem that somebody has managing Kubernetes, it's not only Kubernetes, but they need to be an expert in troubleshooting the 40 different open source packages that their company is sure. probably running. Yeah. And it's not like when you go from one company to the next, it's the exact same set of 40. Actually, the set of 40 is fairly diverse. So to be an expert, you need to know how to troubleshoot like 800 different open source. <laughs> but that, that's not a human capability. Right? Yeah, that's valid. And it's not like open source is going to slow down. So, you know, they're like 12,000 total, but it's not like we're seeing that much collapse into like, oh, the top 30 are really popular. The top 30 represent about 20%, give or take, of the worldwide workloads. So you still need to know a huge number. And most teams can't afford to have experts that have that much coverage. You can have an expert in a couple areas, but you really yeah. need some fast access to a real troubleshooting expert, a real, you know, somebody to really help you set up monitoring, alerting, somebody to respond to alerts, figure out is this a temporary issue, figure out performance optimization. Right. And you need that expert to kind of pop in, like not even for days or weeks. You need that expert to pop in for like 10 minutes at a time.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And I feel like you know part of this we've, as an industry, sort of done it to ourselves. Like every time we advance, we put another abstraction on something, and it goes deeper and deeper. Right? I feel like the movie Inception. By the end of the movie, you're like, "Where am I in this movie?" <laughs> uh, you know, like I'm kind of confused towards the end of it. I feel like if you're deep in Kubernetes, you're like, "How did I get here?" You know, I started off just like my pod wasn't running, and now I'm like debugging all this other stuff. Um, uh, besides the point, so it's it, I mean DevOps. Uh, engineers and SREs, right, they they have to be sort of a unicorn to know mm-hmm. all this stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, they have many challenges, but uh, what specifically are they struggling with in, in, that you've seen in, in sort of the past and what made you create this company um, that is can be solved, I guess, or helped with AI? Is it is there's a matter of information at their fingertips to make them faster at doing it or really having, you know, something with the knowledge of what's going on inside of, of Kubernetes?
3: Right. I came to the conclusion, at least for this, that there were a couple of different areas. First, I mean, I'm talking about like observability. I mean, we make a really, really big deal of observability, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very important. Clearly, there's been a huge amount, you know, like four and a half billion dollars spent on observability tools. And that's just the top four uh, last year. Yeah, I mean, it would make a big deal. But of all the Kubernetes teams that I interviewed, on, I asked the question, okay, so how many of your troubleshooting sessions end at like monitoring and alerting? And they're like, well, like 20%. Okay, so 80% of the time you have somebody popping back onto the CLI.
2: <laughs> Sounds about right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's like you think like there must be some thing we could do. here. That's, that kind of became the starting point. Like let's help people the moment that they pop back on the CLI. Mm. And then how much can we help real experts who really, 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 really know their stack troubleshoot themselves? Some, but I think that's actually fairly limited. How much can we help real experts that they need to communicate with other people that they're mentoring, that they're helping like, okay, that we can actually make decently more efficient. And how much can we help people that are fairly new to it where their expert happens to be in a different time zone is not online yet is on vacation is busy in another meeting has a massive engineering deadline themselves coming up in two days. (laughs) Sure. That I think is something that we can really, 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 really
1: help with. Okay, so you, you, you're you talking a lot about troubleshooting and helping engineers like focus on other things and not just spend their uh, majority of their time looking at logs or going to the CLI, right? Uh, a lot of early low-hanging fruit examples that we have seen, at least on the interwebs is uh, people using these chatbots to generate YAML files for a stateful set object or come up with some scripts. Is that a use case that you see that, like, again, is that a use case that you see? Because from my perspective, right, I can't fully trust the YAML file that it's giving me because some, like in my personal experience, I've seen Chat GPT just make up steps for things that don't exist, and then obviously I don't want to push or copy paste anything from that into uh, into my production environment or even my test dev environment, right? Like, how do we solve that? Like, in addition to troubleshooting, do you see AI helping SREs in any any other areas?
3: Do we. We tried very hard to get LLMs to create troubleshooting commands.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. None of it worked, <laughs> but not at all. Like, it, interestingly enough, when we, we actually, all of us now pretty actively use LLMs when we're doing any work in JavaScript, any work in Go, and any work in Python. Those are three big languages that we're building the backend. Okay. Yeah. And I kind of came to the conclusion for those, you can kind of just skim the code that an LM generates. Even GitHub Copilot, and you can kind of have some confidence that it's a yeah. thing. Um, now, when it comes to generating like CLI commands, every single one we've just found needed human QA. And as soon as you get done like recreating the setup where that troubleshooting command is useful, you really may as well have just written the command yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Also, when you want to do some hinting to say, hey, here is, if this command presents this output, I want to do some hints to say, all right, this is totally healthy. We don't need to chase this or, hey, look, this is weird and this needs either more AI attention or needs to be escalated to a human. That LLMs were like not good at all with no direction, but if a human gave them some hints, then Mm -hmm. they were fantastically good at interpreting the results.
1: Gotcha. So again, from mm-hmm. what I took from that statement was we're good at uh, LLMs and AI will be good at co- being a co-pilot, not necessarily an autopilot. Like, you obviously can't trust it to do everything, but if you are an expert, if you know what you're doing, but you just need a head start on troubleshooting something or figuring something out, I think this is a perfect way. Uh, I know, like for for uh, for my personal use, right? It, sometimes I'll ask it a question. Maybe it gets me like fifty percent there, sixty percent there, and then I can take that information and then do my own thing. Uh, it, I think that's what it feels like. People should be using AI and LLM for at least in twenty twenty three. Maybe things will change in twenty twenty five, but for now, I think the limitations <laughs> thing isn't going to change.
3: Like I became convinced that like getting these things to write really good command line is not going to. I don't think that's going to change with GPT five. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I'm re- re- really curious to see if like you
0: could have like a bake off or or Ooh. sort of a race of someone who's just really good at googling and then someone using like ChatGPT to to solve oh. the same problem, right? Because <laughs> uh, I feel like half the time uh, I want ChatGPT or an LLM to give me an actual result for it to be useful. I don't need it to be sort of a more efficient googler than I am. Yeah. Right. That that doesn't really solve the problem for me. So. I don't know. That'd be, well, be interesting,
3: interesting. Problem. <laughs> and they're really good at the, like, hey, if you there, if you already have a set corpus, so like for, in our particular case, all of our troubleshooting scripts are actually written by experts, right? mm-hmm. and we pay them. When a customer pays us, we actually pay them a royalty in return. The search engine through those is extremely good. Like, so a user says, like, hey, Redis is down. Great. Here are 30 scripts that I think are relevant to Redis being down, some of which are about Redis, some of which are not about Redis at all. They're about troubleshooting Kubernetes deployment, some of which are just about checking warning messages and logs. But it's smart enough to be able to say, hey, given I'm trying to troubleshoot Redis and given the data that we have underneath, here, here's a bunch of stuff that I think is very relevant. The other area where they're insanely good, you because know, if you think about this first, it's like the first instance of search. Mm-hmm. Insanely good at taking the output of one troubleshooting script, turning that into a search query, searching and finding another relevant one. Nice. They're really good at chaining, like, well, they're awful at writing the troubleshooting scripts themselves. (laughs) We found LMs were really good at, like, just chaining these things together into really, really interesting, like, root cause sessions. You're like, huh, okay, I get it. Like, it, like, went down this path, thinking maybe this was a problem, popped back and then went down this path. And now suddenly, you know, these things can run like hundreds of troubleshooting commands in a five-minute period, and then you get this nice like summary of, well, here's what, here, here was the steps that it taken, took, sure. and here's what it thought kind of the root cause was.
1: Gotcha. So it, it, uh, you're saying that everything, all of these different steps are kind of automated, like it runs all of these get commands for you, troubleshooting steps for you, and gives you a good summary. Do you think at any point like Again, we can talk about run run-when as well, right? And the concept of these oh,
3: digital uh, assistants. systems. Okay. Yeah, we think like, ones who are discovering this stuff. I think the the patterns that we're discovering, a lot of other people will follow.
1: Okay. Yep, makes sense, right? Like, so uh, is there any form of reinforcement learning? Like, are you teaching the the chatbot at certain points during the day? Like, okay, this is the right way to do it. Like, uh, no, the the fourth command that you had doesn't really make sense. Don't do it the next time around. Is that happening or? Absolutely. Is it like a vendor like run when that has to make those changes and customers are just trying to use those chatbots or digital assistants? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where I, th- that's where I think the
3: role of a vendor gets really interesting here because we're even going through UI decisions to say, all right, when somebody gives a training tip to say, oh, wow, yeah, given that issue, here was really the right thing to run. We're going through UI questions to say, when does somebody want to keep that private? And when are they willing to contribute that, run- that troubleshooting tip okay. to the community itself? which is where I think that's where like vendors and communities can play a really interesting role. Cause you, say you're a really, really small Kubernetes shop and you're facing some issue for the first time. Can you get like, wow, I now have the knowledge, not only of these like couple hundred experts that are co- yeah. in commands,
1: but I have like all the knowledge of like a Shopify, like coming. Yeah. That would be awesome. Because we always hear about like the case studies that we heard at things like kubecon are for large-scale environments like big enterprise shops that are doing this at scale but they don't usually apply to the best practices don't usually apply to like a two-person team running two applications so i think just having access to the expertise that has been built in inside that shopify i think will help smaller organization adopt kubernetes faster and be comfortable with it i guess
3: that's uh, that's hundred. that was 100% my thesis. I mean, if I could have taken in my last role, if I could have ta- just taken some of the troubleshooting documentation even that some of my larger clients had already written, and if I could have just given that to my medium clients, I, I actually tried with one, and they agreed, but it just turned out to be too much work to scrub out host names, IP addresses, etc. Okay, yeah. like, If we could just take this and make this public, it would uh, change the game for so many smaller Kubernetes shops.
1: Um. Anyway, so but I think I, I do have a concern there right like uh, we have heard case studies about how product managers have basically used chat GPT and maybe given access to data that mm-hmm. to open AI that shouldn't be right and we also see a lot of bigger enterprises not asking their employees not to use these llms how do we find that balance right like, I like the idea of learning from the best and then helping everybody but are people comfortable sharing their troubleshooting scripts back to the uh, ecosystem? Do you think th- this will be more successful because it's done in C- inside the CNCF landscape where everybody is more comfortable being open? Or how, how do we handle that?
3: I think sharing the troubleshooting scripts themselves, mm-hmm. 99% of the time, these are generic. I mean, having reviewed so many of my clients' troubleshooting scripts,
2: mm-hmm.
3: like, okay, you're troubleshooting Nginx, you're troubleshooting Kafka, you're troubleshooting Postgres. And so many of these, like, well, 1% applies to your own code. You get such incredibly good telemetry into your own code by doing all of the troubleshooting for all of the systems around it, most of which are open source. So, A, I think a huge amount of just, like, open source troubleshooting covers, like, 99, 95% of somebody's needs and can get somebody to the root cause really, really, really quickly.
0: Yeah. I mean, having... Having a community of people developing these scripts definitely is uh, above and beyond any single person could do right a single s r v who's you know the the light and shining night and shining armor of your <laughs> your problems at a company right um it kind of brings me to you know how can or or how can these ai personas um sort of be as good as that SRE, um, and how do how does someone trust them, right? Because of I think people are getting used to um, hearing about things like misinformation and sort of uh, the term hallucinations I've heard with 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 LLMs. Although I don't fully understand it, but like how do they go about trusting someone uh, this AI persona as as they would that you know trusty uh, person the SRE that they constantly can go back to and, and they'll help them.
3: I mean, I think this is where the the troubleshooting scripts themselves have to be written by experts. Sure. They just have to be like the, we tried so hard doing it the other way. And we we're sitting here in the middle of it with a heck of a lot of incentive to trust. And I, I couldn't get there. So I think that you have to, A, have your troubleshooting scripts written by experts. You have to make those experts famous. I think that's really important. Okay. Those are people. That's not just, I don't think that should be co-pilot fodder. Hmm. We make a lot of decisions around making the name of the author of this script show right. up in large letters, making their photo show up in large letters, making these people famous. We make sure that they get paid for yeah. this work. And that like as you as a user, like you you're keenly aware that you are using troubleshooting scripts that were contributed by 35 people, including these three people who have spent Five years troubleshooting nginx and these two people have spent five years troubleshooting Postgres. I think the LLM part of it are digital assistants. They're really they're more like river guides, like helping you say, "Hey, there's a great script over here. Yeah, a script over here from this person. There's a great script over here from this person. Hey, okay, given what you're asking for and everything else that I'm seeing, here are three great scripts that I recommend." And so you put them in the role of recommending humans' work. Mm-hmm which is where they're really good.
0: A a guided, a guided trip through troubleshooting. I like that. I mean, seeing how willing people are to go to stack overflow and just like, try something that who knows put on there they probably know nothing about that person or why they put it there or if it works right um i imagine this is a big step up right that's the way i see it
3: um i mean this looks good to me like we can do we can improve on this yeah
0: exactly um i i think the the next step for that is you know even these are humans, humans make, make mistakes. Sometimes yep. they won't work. How do, how do you go about sort of improving the quality? What's that sort of process, process looks like for these scripts?
3: And I think the first that and we found this in our own use. I was surprised, frankly, I thought that a lot of our own scripts who went up being remediation, the vast mm-hmm. majority, like 90 to 95% of ours are information gathering. And, okay. as long as, you know, there, it, and that's not to say that like, it's free. If you gather a ton of information that a human has to look at, you didn't really improve the situation all that much. So there's a lot of information gathering and then summary. And hey, that's why the hinting is really important. This is an issue that's worthy of attention. Or this command just generated like a 4,000 line output, none of which you need to read. That, that has a lot of value. value. Yeah. Um, the remediation ones we actually set our system up. This is just a UI thing, but I think it's interesting with multiple digital assistants and multiple personas. Like for our own internal use, we have a set of Eager Edgar and Cautious Kathy, and then Admin Ali. Yeah, love those names. And Admin Ali actually has materially different RBAC permissions than Cautious Kathy or Eager Edgar. Ooh, all of the remediation steps sit in Admin Ali, and the idea being like, if you're talking, if you're asking Admin Ali to do things.
2: Careful. Be <laughs>
1: greater <laughs> and cautious catcounter like oh, 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 oh. 300 commands, huh? I don't know. Something that'll happen. Yeah. Gotcha. So like do you ever see uh, right now you said right like it's data gathering phase. Do you ever see us going to like actually like does admin alley or I sorry if I messed up the name? Uh <laughs> do you ever see them taking over? and fixing things for you, not just giving you a summary after running 30 scripts. Like, And uh, just a second part of the question, right? I think the idea of having those community-backed or user-backed scripts will definitely help because if I'm running a production environment, if I'm responsible for one, I will not trust AI because that will have an outage and I can lose my job. I can trust an, uh, uh, a chatbot to give me suggestions of what I should do for my two-day weekend trip that I have, but not for messing with my... Day job in my production environment so like how do we uh th- that's a great idea right like so first question is do you ever see them taking over like doing things for you and then how do the community handwritten scripts uh help with that approach um
3: i would say will we see like fully automated remediation bit by bit by bit by bit i mean let's start with like hey all of kubernetes is predicated on this idea of the reconciliation loop that itself is doing automated remediation in a very material form compared to its predecessors. So, I do think that we'll see some of that bit by bit. Mostly, like, hey, what are the really practical things? Restarting stuff.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. <You> know, something <laughs> they really made a whole TV series about it. So, yes. <laughs> like
3: these bots can kind of restart things. Um, they can help, you know, hey, wow, our scheduler somehow got itself into a really, really bad state. Okay, add a node, add a node for an hour, let the schedule refigure itself out. Okay, and then delete nodes or scale back down. We're big believers in in GitOps, mm-hmm. so it, there's an awful lot of okay, you know, reconcile, re-reconcile, re-reconcile. Oh, all right, rollback, fair. Okay, we must have a bad PR somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let's trust that a let's trust that a digital assistant could actually do a rollback to a prior PR. I wish we know it's just going to get the system into a human approved state that it was in probably an hour ago. Okay, I don't think. Things like fixing configuration, to me, it feels pretty dicey. Like, could I picture any of yeah. our AI assistants actually fundamentally checking new stuff into any of our infra repos? Nope.
0: Yeah. Feels like a
3: stretch. It sounds like, it feels like a stretch.
0: It sounds like these uh, these personas have sort of a context they're allowed to work in, a sort of yeah. uh, uh set of laws you know call them so call them kubernetes turing laws or something like that where like shall not edit yaml right um and versus you know uh, harming a human or something like that but how do those things get set in 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 the sense that cautious cassie is cautious and admin alley does more things
3: um i mean between like between those two examples we just set it up with our back rules the exact same way frankly like my colleague shay doesn't particularly like me having any right access into <laughs> the end repo. repos like period full God, like, oh, you know you get that you, you, you do other things and don't touch these um change mm-hmm. my dev environment anytime i like um so we view the like the personas that's a really easy like mental model to pick up and put down on top of on top of personas as well like hey okay Admin, like Cautious Kathy, a lot of people on the team can use Cautious Kathy. Okay, let's give Cautious Kathy just our back that we feel pretty comfortable with. Admin might be very limited, only a couple of people have access. So gotcha. it's kind of a clean, like, hey, let's take the human mental model we've got and let's apply it to digital. Um, so yeah. beyond that, like, frankly, tiny tweaks to the way that these things search leads to pretty different like, personalities. I mean, we gave these names after, like, fiddling around with a few configuration files. They didn't even figure it out with, like, a little bit of training. Yep. Yeah. Um, they just developed these their own little personalities and they're kind of fun to watch. And you know, <laughs> nice. So users can name their own,
1: you know. but That can get yeah. weird, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so once, like, I, like, once we have, uh, let's say, I have access to Edgar, right, and uh, 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 Kathy, and Pat, Inside my organization, how does it learn? Is it you already spoke about different levels of R back levels, right? So I can have different teams inside my organizations, different people have different levels of access to these digital assistants in the first place. But is there a way for them to learn from what's going on inside my environment, or when does all the training and learning and evolving these models, and I'm just a end user.
3: No, I mean this is now we're getting like deep in like the the vendor stuff, but this is where. Uh, this is where the vendor stuff, A, gets hard, and B, this is where we spend a lot of time. Yeah, For us, our view is they learn from a couple different sources. They can actually learn from the person who authored the troubleshooting commands themselves. Yep. Okay. So if you see conditions like this, think of it as almost like SEO. Like, I want to boost my troubleshooting command when I see situations like this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually good. Like SEO okay. is good. So that's one source of learning. One source of learning is from us, like just changing the base models. Sure. Okay. Um, which I think that's like how we add value to our 100th customer, then we're 1,000th, then we're 10,000th, et cetera. Um, one source is where users actually say, hey, I want this training tip to, I'm okay submitting this training tip back to the community. Okay. Gotcha. And then the last is like, hey, there's a training tip, but for one reason or another, I want it to be private. And we're still playing with like, do we chart, like the public training tips are so much more valuable. Do we charge more for private training tips or you know for people that want to keep everything private not give anything but i don't know we're still playing around with a whole bunch of different ideas there but the four sources of learning
1: um are really important okay so no, i think it would be really cool if the chatbot or the digital assistant can see me troubleshooting something for the first time and then it comes and like does it for the next hundred times no. like if i get hit, hit the same issue i don't want to do the same thing over and over again and that's why we have adopted things like infrastructure as code and GitOps and all of those automation things uh, principles. But like, learn from me and then just do it for me, and that way, I, being the 10x engineer, can scale, and the the rest of my team, the rest of my organization, can be unblocked. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The nifty thing is, I mean, I'm having a couple conversations with, anyways, some folks, uh, well, folks who've been doing this in our industry for a long time. I, I think it changes the way we think about automation because if you think about let's take the exact case that you said with today's automation tools we would write this in a script to do that and let's say let's say we refactor our microservices. Mm -hmm. It's probably broken. We would refactor our microservices a lot and and before we were actually using our own product we were breaking our troubleshooting and regression scripts all the time. Uh, It was a real pain in the neck. (laughs) Now if you assume instead that like hey Each little step in the script, maybe you authored it, maybe somebody in the community authored it, but the script is fundamentally orchestrated by a digital assistant. That took a whole bunch of training tips. Suddenly you'd refactor your microservices and you don't change a thing.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. It'll just kind of ignore the broken commands and it'll probably pick up a whole bunch of commands that are relevant to the new architecture without you ever actually changing anything. And that's, re- that's what we found that's really cool, especially for things like I want to tie this so every time an alert comes in, Eager Edgar goes off and works on it for 10 minutes. Yeah, sure. yeah that's key. We don't change Eager Edgar's config anymore. Eager Edgar kind of just figures out the new set of services and does it and takes into account training tips that were relevant in the old stuff that are still relevant, forgets training tips that are no longer relevant because of the refactor. Um, and then if somebody goes, does go in and give a couple training, tips, fantastic.
0: But another gotcha. way, Eager could be the first on the list of your pager
3: duty list. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hopefully not, not give it off to another human. That, that is for us. Cause I mean, we don't have the time to like fine tune all of our alerts. Like it would be really nice. We don't have that kind of time. It's just nice when we can say like, all right, did eager Edgar think there was an issue with this alert? No, it's just a preemptive event. Who cares? <laughs>
0: I think there's this, there's, this, uh, there's this point in which a technology like this gets you know added to uh, a company's common usage and uh, SRE team or something like that. There's a point in which I feel like when someone who is part of uh, the support group or SREs um, you know goes back and said, "Oh, who fixes that?" Yeah. and they just say Edgar did Edgar did and they don't know it's actually not a human I think that's where you've <laughs> you can define sort of like we did it right <laughs> or or gets to the level of of uh, right. you know it's becoming just another person in, in somewhere way or form
3: I do think, I think that that looks like success but it, I mean having just come out of a meeting last week make a bunch of UI decisions on this to, to me the <laughs> big success is oh I asked Edgar to do that.
0: Yeah. Okay. There you go.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: Edgar works for, like our assistants do things on behalf of people. And I think when we can a, put them in that light, Hey, we set up the assistants for success. Yeah. But we also set up the people for a ton of success. And there's a lot of like subtle UI tweaks that we do around this of like, okay, so who asked Edgar to do this? Who asked Kathy, cautious Kathy to do that. Yep. And you can really start to basically say, Hey, but it's not only 10x engineers, but it's also people who aren't 10x engineers who can suddenly be like, wow, they're actually a really, really effective manager, yep. for free digital assistants that are doing mm-hmm. a ton of work. And you give that person who's not the 10x engineer the ability to have amazing impact in their organization. Yep. Um, I'm excited about being like a, especially starting my career as a very mm-hmm. mediocre programmer. The fact <laughs> that I didn't have to manage my memory with Java and I did do it with C. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: That's a win. (laughs) Do it again. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. So Kyle, I think next question I want to ask is around the troubleshooting scenarios, right? Like I know you used NGINX and Redis as the two examples. Like, do you see, or can you talk about some really low hanging fruits or common troubleshooting scenarios that you see right now when you're working with maybe your early design partners, design customers, and like, how are you, like, we're still in the early stages. What do we, what are we fixing now? And then what are the next steps?
3: Um, I, I mean, the, the really basic ones are that we did like a year ago now, or like all of the basic cook kettle gets across the okay. stuff. And then you start to go in and say, all right, for let's go instead of group, kettle get let's sort of basic credit gets, let's start troubleshooting helm charts and let's start troubleshooting things like flux customizations. Ooh. Okay, so now we're starting to get into some of the meta areas that actually do impact lots of other deployments. And then after that, we start getting into Redis and Memcache and Kube, uh, like uh, Nginx, Kong, et cetera. So I I think that was kind of the sequence that we took. And we clearly know after this, we're going to go beyond Kubernetes. I mean, already, that's that's kind of the direction that things are headed. but I, you know, right now, I, mm-hmm. let me use it as the opportunity to give a short plug. My colleague Shay just started a, an ugly coup okay. party.
1: <laughs> I, saw, I that. saw that. I need to attend the next one. <laughs> we'll we'll put that in the show notes too. If, if it's too late, like, sure. <laughs> like a, it's
3: like a paragraph long. You're like, oh wow, actually, yeah, that actually is a lot of. That's the exact output that tells us exactly what we want. Yeah. Um, so I think that <laughs> in addition to going from like the base, like default, to like the meta, to the workload very, very workload specific. We're also going from like, hey, really, really simple commands to really useful ones that if you don't have copy and paste, nobody's ever going to type them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, like the the amount of JQ hell I've been in when working (laughs) with like AWS APIs or something like that, right? Um, If it was just there for me, I'd be, you know, the happiest camper. So (laughs) I get the value there.
3: Now, um, you know, for... If I could use that, let me give a small plug yeah, for please. the ugly kube Kettle party. We also to promote our authors, we put together a little open source tool that scans people's kube clusters and it's not a pay product. it's like it's it's not paid at all. It just scans kube clusters and it pulls out all of the CLI commands that an assistant could run and it puts it in a copy paste cheat sheet. Ooh.
0: Yeah, this is Run One Local, right? This is Run One Local, yeah. Okay. So it's not like, and we did
3: it to, in a big way. We did it to promote our authors so that the author's names like show up in big nice, big letters, yeah. which I think is really cool. So even if somebody doesn't somebody doesn't buy our product, we can't pay the author royalties. But if somebody at least uses this and we can make our authors a little famous.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I, I believe that's open source as well, right? Yep. yep. Well, um, okay. okay, that's... that's
3: we're going to post the source.
0: <laughs> yeah, perfect. I mean, that's a good place probably to to ask more about where people can get involved, right? So there's open source, run when local. Um, you know, if someone wants to become part of the community writing these scripts or, uh, you know, earn royalties or something like that, where do they get involved with that or, or
1: um,
3: how you do just they... Put on our like, onecom has all of our technical documentation and
1: that has the information on joining the authors program. Gotcha. And what about people who want to, like, try this out? Because this is exciting.
3: Uh... <laughs> yeah. So right now, every, pretty much everybody starts with Run Run Local.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: It's the fastest way, because there's like you don't even need to create an account with us. And you can say, all right, for my cluster, here is what Igor Edgar, Edgar would do. And then after that, it's more commercial conversation to set up a, right now, basically set up a, set up a POC with us. But we're going to open it up for GA. It's, uh, you know, little later this year awesome but right now it's sort of private pocs
0: gotcha and anywhere else you know is there a place for for folks to communicate besides the website like i don't know twitter or github or anything like that you would like to share
3: absolutely so in our tech docs we put in just our slack channel where we hang out we put in our discord channel where people who hate slack on our team hang out we have uh, uh, too many repos at this point under run one contrib or that's where like all of our discussions back and forth. Gotcha. It feels like we have a lot of these for a small company.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're just covering all the bases. we're going
3: to it on. I mean, you know, you, we're
0: going to do, do, do all them. the things, right? Get them all. <laughs> Well, that's that's great. I feel like uh, I feel like we could talk about this for hours and hours more. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, maybe we'll have to have you back on the show when, you know, Edgar and Allie and and those are, are in their tweens or something like that and growing up Twins. and <laughs> <laughs> we can check up on how they're doing. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, this has been super insightful. I think really yeah. interesting topic for uh, folks both interested in AI and what it's, you know, what we're using it for in, in sort of a more general sense. And then obviously those who are, you know, in the weeds, troubleshooting a Kubernetes. I think this is super valuable. So I I want to thank you for coming on the show and hopefully we'll have you again soon.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: All right, Bhavan, I think that was um, probably not enough time to cover that entire topic with Kyle. I think I could have talked to him for another two hours, probably on this show. Uh, It'll be a longer episode, but, you know, I think it's one we could easily have back on and kind of talk about again. But
1: what do you think? What were your takeaways from that? No, I think I I, I really liked the episode, right? Like um, the way Kyle came in and didn't hype up. AI and LLMs to be the next best thing. And yeah, everybody should be using that. He's like, no, there is a place uh, and reason for every solution that uh, people are using. So I like the fact that he understands, even though he's a CEO and founder of an AI based company, he's not gung ho about it. He's like, no, we still need to support SREs by having human written scripts. Like AI can be the way to uh, surface those scripts, give the user an easy troubleshooting workflow. They can enable them. But again, when anything is touching a production environment, it shouldn't be... At least in 2023, in July of 2023, (laughs) it shouldn't be completely automated and AI written. Like it has to be uh, something that a human has written, that AI is just helping you. It's like doing a Stack Overflow search and figuring out the best solution for you and then giving you that snippet. Like, okay, go and run this, and this can help you solve a specific Redis issue.
0: Yeah, we might we might get to an ex Machina iRobot yeah, future, at some but point. yeah, we're, yeah. Not, we're not we're not there. That, yeah. that that human touch, that trust element I think is uh is gonna be key. And if you are someone working on Kubernetes and troubleshooting, like it's an opportunity for you to give back to yeah. uh a community and also kind of help the tool.
1: And make some royalty on along the way.
0: Sure. Ah. <laughs> make- yeah. That is cool, Uh, giving some some value to those. Yeah, I think that was a really cool part of it. I I think just all of this coming from, for me, like a lot of this coming out of real life examples with complexity, right? SRE spending you know so much time (laughs) in the keyboard on the terminal like i've been there Mm -hmm. Uh, i get it and it definitely comes down to there's you know there's only a few people that are going to know everything in that stack and know how to understand uh you know troubleshooting everything so having a a a tool that can help you get somewhere faster you know as as a human kind we're all about (laughs) that right so i think that fits into that sort of human element really well um and just i mean we didn't do the chat GBD question, but yeah. we asked it, right? Why should an SRE trust artificial intelligence to help them with the Kubernetes clusters? And like, there was a whole long answer and I'm not going to go through it, but part of it was, it should it should be used as a complementary tool rather mm-hmm. than a, a replacement for human expertise. I really yeah. like that line. I don't know where it pulled it out from <laughs> or know. anything like that. And obviously we're asking itself to uh, why we should trust it. So I don't know, we'll just <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. But I, yeah. I really did like that part of it. And I, I do feel like that's a big big piece of it um the, the other piece i think kyle talked about was you know people don't just need more chatbots like that's mm-hmm. how we've been exposed to a lot of this and mm-hmm. there's a lot of frustration there right i mean he gave the example of being on the phone with some something and yeah. i was recent i i recently did like a few days ago i'm like yeah no no one wants this and until it gets <laughs> way way better um and so like that sort of persona angle they have going mm-hmm. for it that's you know backed by uh, the human elements the the written pieces is really really cool i know
1: and i think that like the experience will improve overall like yes yeah. chatbots it's easy for mass consumption like okay everybody yeah. can just talk to a it. chatbot yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah it doesn't have the expertise right now i think it will improve uh, i still remember early days of uh, just voice assistance right like yeah. i had an iphone 4s and like siri hasn't improved that much but there are other voice assistants no, she's still that still so can, frustrating yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there are other voice assistants that that are better so like even though Everybody loves Chat GPT. It's still early days. Uh, GPT. Yeah,
0: the fact that we're frustrated with it also tells us that, like, we're itching for more. We're itching yeah. for those things, yeah. those tools to do more. So, although,
1: like, I found out a stat that uh, the amount of like the Chat GPT usage has gone down right now a few things to it hype yeah. uh high schools been out people are like maybe kids are not using it for their assignments i was like they shouldn't be using it for their <laughs> assignments but like that's one of the reasons being cited it's so summer yeah i don't know yeah, maybe maybe uh, the workforce who are taking vacations are not using it this is um, not, not allowed, just be, but... supposed to be used for work i use it for planning my trips like okay i, I instead of me watching 15 videos over a weekend to figure out what are the top five spots i should touch every in every trip I just ask Chad GPT okay I need to plan a trip to XYZ for four days can you give me a list and it gives mm-hmm. me a list which is like okay this is a good starting. I mean, it could point be a now.
0: couple years dated but yeah
1: yeah like uh, again national parks right like the hikes don't really change that much <laughs> <laughs> not, not that drastically not, not drastically so, like it's a good starting point saves me like an hour a, a day worth of watching videos from influencers yeah. and then get until the that
0: future. one time where like a volcano took out an entire trail and you show oh. up and you're like I can't I can't yeah. this- which- which-
1: which- 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 if which- that which- happens I'll definitely tweet <laughs> about it
0: <laughs> that's good, my level good. of rage i'll tweet about it that's nice it. <laughs> nice um cool so as we wind this down we do want to uh remind no oh, we did not even remind we want to tell our listeners yeah. we are taking a summer break ourselves we Woo! talked about some of the trips we're going on so uh next episode will be at least four weeks out so we're skipping one we usually do them every two yeah. weeks um hopefully you won't feel lost without us um you know enjoy your own summer i guess i'll say um and we'll be back uh, with uh, a lot of new episodes ready to go yeah. uh, down the road. And uh, just a reminder, please come and join our Slack. Yeah, if you uh, miss us too much, yeah, there's always Slack, you know? <laughs> Chat with us there. We, we have it on our phones, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you there. So this brings us to the end of today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Bobbin. Thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes Podcast.